Hello and welcome to this week's episode of the Tapping Up podcast with myself, Daryl, and as always, Ian. I am sweating my bollocks off this week. Um, I'm not entirely sure what on earth is going on with the weather, but pissing it down on my way home. It is the muggiest of muggy weathers. Well, you make me suffer, don't you? You like to make me suffer in a sauna because I'm not allowed my windows open when we're recording this because you say there's birds out. And I normally, for the last few episodes, have sat here with my top off because it's so hot and you moan at having to look at my manly physique. So I've had to stick on a vest for you uh, today. So I am equally sweating my tits off. I feel it's very important to note on that particular point there that Ian has gone round today clearly very much offended by the fact that I've said to him, it's very weird him sat in there topless when we record these these podcasts. I've asked him to put a shirt on. Let's not make things weird between us. He's gone around telling everyone he possibly can, making sure that everyone's on his side, making me out to be a bad guy. It's just, it's more comfortable this way. Yeah, but I mean, you you don't have to look. We're not, we're not, we're not this is not a visual podcast. I'm not exposing the world to my manly physique it's just second time you've said that now it's 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 cooler when it's this hot but uh, I've, I've taken your feedback on board as we like to do and improve so uh i'm vested up so uh you can't Obviously, complain you say that you've taken my feedback on you look like will from the in-betweeners in the episode where his mum gets him a vest for his birthday i think you're being incredibly harsh i think you'd probably find i look more like the rock uh, in his Under Armour vest, but um... you look more like the pebble there. Absolutely nowhere <laughs> near the rock. Um, let's get straight into it, as we always do. Uh, Cannonier has broken the UFC significant strike record in his recent bout against Vittori. We both called this one wrong. Uh, we called the decision wrong. <laughs> we called the method of victory right, but for the wrong individual. Yeah, and I'll be honest, I've been struggling for some reason via my usual methods of fight pass to actually find the fight. So I've got to be honest, I haven't actually seen the fight. I've only seen uh, the highlights. Um, I mean, the one thing we did say, and it proved more than anything in that fight, is maybe apart from Justin Gagey, is there a tougher fighter in the UFC than Vittori? That man has a chin of iron. The amount of damage and strikes he absorbed and didn't get knocked out was incredible. And it was one of those ones for me that as much as Connie uh, definitely won, won quite easily. And obviously from the from the highlights I saw, got to give props for Vittori for his toughness for that. That was, he took a savage beating and carried on to the end. You know, in, incredible endurance and um, certainly one of the toughest fighters in the UFC, if you ask me. Well, I'm just looking here at the stats. So he officially tallied uh, 249 significant strikes, which uh, surpassed the previous record of 186. Uh, Scorecards pretty much reflected the dominance. They were 49 to 45, 49 to 45, and 48 to 46. Um, Vittori, and, and I've seen a bit more than by the sounds of it yourself, Vittori looked quite good in the first round and he nearly knocked out Cannonier in the first round. He landed a ridiculously good shot. Um, but after that, it, it was pretty much one-sided and um, Cannonier's improved his, his recent record to 4-1 to one in his last fights, last five fights, that is. 
and Vittori is now on a three-match losing streak. So it's interesting to see where he goes. But Canania title shot next? Uh, could easily be. I mean, obviously, that uh, they're looking at um, Izzy. Who has Izzy got next? Um, has it been announced, in fact, or am I making that up? You have a knack of making these things up. So, <laughs> um, I have a feeling that is maybe Izzy isn't fighting, but that Whitaker definitely is fighting Duplessis. And I believe the way that it's been left is the winner that's effectively a title eliminator. So, Izzy will take on the winner of that. You could, uh, Cannoneer definitely puts himself into the the title equation, I think, with that. But again, he's one of those fighters. I think the top tier guys, we've already said he's he's, he's, he's lost to Izzy. He's lost to uh, Whitaker already. I'm not sure I could see him changing that, even with his very impressive improvement that he seems to be making. But, you know, someone as, as, as heavy-handed as him has always got a chance. Well, I mean... If he doesn't get a title shot next, where does he go? Um, I'm just looking through the rankings. Is there anyone that really sort of jumps out as someone that he takes on next? Um, obviously, Pereira isn't going to drop back down. Um, if Whitaker gets the next shot, does Cannonier just sort of sit about and wait? Or does he take on, you know, Brunson or Delitz? If you if you look at it, I mean, you've obviously got Izzy, Izzy number one, Pereira number, uh, sorry, Izzy is a champ, Pereira number one, but Pereira is going up to 205, as we've discussed. Whitaker is already in with a fight uh, at three with Duplessis, who's number five. Uh, Cannoneer and Vittori at three and four have already fought. So, I mean, that, that, that really leaves the next highest ranked fighter as Paolo Costa. And a lot of fighters, and I can understand this why, is... They want to look up, you know, that is there a is there an upside to Cannoneer fighting someone lower in the rankings to him? Say he suddenly loses that, that momentum he's got and position he's moved himself into uh, is lost. So I, I, as much as I hate when managers say to fighters, look, sit out and wait, I think he would be a prime example of, look, wait and see what happens um, you know, Duplessis and uh, Whitaker will happen. Um, you know, if Izzy is ready and training and either of them doesn't take a great deal of damage in, in the victory, I mean, they're both warriors, so I could see that being a five-rounder. You could say Cannoneer comes in quick. Equally, Cannoneer could be the backup for that fight as well. That would make an obvious, sensible decision that if one of them two got injured prior to the fight, Cannoneer can step in um on short notice potentially if he carries on training to to take the spot so he's in a, a tough position because he's probably at least one fight away from a title shot and the way that the UFC often work that could be months so he could be he could be sat out on the bench for for a while if he does want to wait to see what happens um after the shake-up of those fights we've just talked about Costa for me wouldn't really make much sense unless you're essentially throwing Costa to the walls because I think he, he beat Rockhold in his last fight. I'm pretty sure Vittori beat him before that, and then obviously Adesanya beat him as well. So I, I don't see any benefit other than a placeholder, essentially. 
Totally agree. And I mean, if you look down the rankings after that, seven is Strickland. And I'm pretty sure Kinnear has already beat Strickland. You've got Derek Brunson at eight, uh, DeLitz at number nine. And DeLitz obviously lost to Vittori, who has just lost to Kinnear. So there doesn't really seem anyone free of it and available at the moment, unless he wanted to take, we said, I said before that Kinnear has fought at light as heavyweight and heavyweight unless the only other option is he goes up in weight and decides as an interim, do I go up to, to light heavyweight and take on someone there for a, for an interim fight maybe? But um, Yeah, I don't see that. I think that'd be career suicide because if he does that, loses, he's back. I think he'd be just pushed back down. I think you're more likely to see either a placeholder in that if he does fight someone like Costa, just for the sake of, as I say, someone for him to beat in the meantime and, and in the interim, or... I, I agree with you. I think he just sits out. Um, we've got another superb fight night coming up this, this weekend it's with a stacked card of two fights minimum that I'm going to, uh, personally, I'm going to discuss. You may uh, want to discuss more, but um, it is a pretty decent, again, as you often get with fight nights, the, 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 the headliner is, is a decent fight. So you've got Josh Emmett, um, Number five, featherweight with an eight record of 18 and three against uh, Tapura, who surprised me when I saw that he was ranked number nine. I thought he'd be higher than that because he looks quite a prospect with a 13 and 0 record. Um, I haven't looked at the odds, but I would hazard a guess that Tapura would be the underdog, given that he's lower down the rankings. That is definitely worth a bet because he, Tapura, looks a real, real prospect. Um, very flashy striking game, very good kicks, spinning kicks, uh, and, and general striking. And he's got a relatively decent ground game as well. So, um, that could be a good, that'd be a good scrap. That I agree. Uh, Tapura would be a very good bet if he was the underdog. However, I, I don't know how you think he'd be underdog in this. Uh, he's definitely not, he is uh, quite the clear favorite. Which is crazy that. if you look at the rankings, and it, it doesn't surprise me that he is the clear favourite. But given he's nine fighting against five, you would think that um, that it'll might flip though, it? and that, that's how the rankings work. They, they're very sort of temperamental, and I'm sure as soon as Tapura wins this, and I would certainly be backing him to win it by sparking out Emmett. And I think that that's not something to be sniffed at either. I don't think Josh Emmett is necessarily a bad fighter. Um, lost recently against Rodriguez, but before that took on uh, Cater and and took on a few others and was on quite a good streak up until that point. I th- I'm pretty sure he was unbeaten since is it like 2018, something like that. So he, he's been on an all right run. He got his title shot. He just wasn't good enough to, to beat Rodriguez and there isn't many that are. And it's quite interesting. I've just pulled the rankings up for, for featherweight as well. How far, let's say, Chapura does win, like we think, how far he goes up because you've got above him um, Giga Kikladze, who's a decent fighter, and I'm sure he's got a fight lined up. I'm not entirely sure against who. You've got at seven, the Korean Zombie. Number six, which is surprising given his incredible performance uh, the last time out, is Kate, uh, Calvin Cater. You've then got Emmett. Um, and then after that, that's when you start to get into the kind of the big boys of the league. You've got uh, Alan Arnold at number four, which I could easily see would be um, a pretty decent fight. You then got Brian Ortega, Max Holloway, 
Yar Rodriguez, and obviously uh, our pound for pound number two, uh, Volk uh, as the champ. Yeah, uh, it'd be interesting to see what happens next. That's a, it's a bit of a strange division, to be honest, in that there aren't many people that you think will challenge the top. And it's the majority of UFC divisions, I suppose, these days. But there aren't many that you can see beating Volk, if anyone, and I personally can't see anyone beating Volk. Um, Rodriguez being the interim in the meantime, uh, you would assume that Volk and Rodriguez are probably going to run that at, at some point. Um, Holloway is sort of the gatekeeper of the division in that sense. There's not many people that, I mean, obviously we, we talked about Arnold Allen, uh, I think was that a couple of months ago, a few weeks back, where he looked like a very good prospect. He looked like he was doing very well as soon as he fought Holloway. You know, done. It, it wasn't even close, really. So whether that's the same for Tapura or whether he's the one who's going to be the, the closest to getting anywhere near beating Volk is another thing to be seen. I personally don't see it. I think Volk it's, is clearly above the division. It's definitely still too early in his career for Volk, and you couldn't throw. He's getting thrown to the wolves, but he definitely at thirteen and zero fights maybe a couple more of those guys. Maybe Ortega would make sense. I'd, I'd love to see the Korean zombie fight him. I, I love uh, Yeah, that the would be a, that would be a great yeah. strike. Korean zombie's a, a terrific fighter to watch. I mean, I'm a big fan of uh, uh, Brian Ortega, T-City, with his uh, incredible uh, triangle ability. Seems to have dropped off for a bit here, a groove where he was looking really good. And I think even got as far as being interim champion or at least fighting for the title before he lost. Um, oh, you see, he seems... Do you know what his last two fights were? Gone. Vulcan uh, Rodriguez. So he's, he's been fighting the best, in all fairness. I think he has fought um, in the, his last four. I'm pretty sure he fought the Korean he Zombie as one of them. And he fought and Holloway. And he also fought Holloway. I was going to say, definitely yeah. fought Because that was the one where it was a brilliant scene where him and Holiday, Holloway are scrapping it out. And Holloway kind of mid-fight almost tries to teach him how to block punches, which like is crazy just uh, as a bit to uh, a clip to watch on YouTube. But um, yeah, no no obvious next fight, but Ortega, I'd like to see that. And like you say, Korean zombie. um, I love watching him fight every time that fight would make sense, but I have a feeling, I don't know why that he might already have a fight lined up unless I'm mistaken. So um, we'll have to wait and see the result, I suppose, on that one before it becomes a bit clearer. Any other fights worth of uh, a mention? Um, only other one for me, um, probably going to butcher his name as standard, is David uh, Onanama, uh, who I've got to say I know nothing about. Uh, not ranked uh, in uh, the division with a record of 10 and 2. And he is fighting Gabriel Santos with a record of 10 and 1. Uh, we saw Santos at UFC 286. He was the chap that lost an uh, incredibly harsh decision to uh, Lerone uh, yeah. Murphy and definitely should have won. But I was super impressed with him. He was a, what I would call a very standard Brazilian in terms of having excellent jiu-jitsu. But he also looked like he had some skills in striking as well. Um, he's definitely a prospect at featherweight to keep an eye on. And again, I don't know the odds, but uh, if they'll probably be massively in his favour, um, I definitely will fancy him to be taking that fight. It's um, a Rihanna song, a Rihanna song, that isn't it? Gabriel Santos. No, no. Uh, oh, no, I'm a... what's my name? <laughs> this might be one of the worst jokes you've ever made on this podcast. <laughs> 
Oh, I thought it was brilliant. I mean, may, oh. maybe, maybe you never know. You might say that maybe he comes out to Rihanna like as his walkout song, which would be weird. But um, yeah, <laughs> your you, you joke writing skills definitely need some work. I'm sure it's like Onoma as well. I don't think it's anywhere near that, but it works funnier if it's if it sounds like that. Um, you have got a note here to speak about, funnily enough, because we were talking about him uh, the other week. Masvidal's game bread boxing promotion. Yeah, um, he. So uh, what I like about again, he, he is putting on a, uh, a a bit like one FC, a mixed promotion in that he does cards that have a bit of everything. So boxing. Bare knuckle boxing. He's even gone as far as bringing in, if I'm not mistaken, um, bare knuckle MMA, which a lot of people have wanted to see for a while. Um, and it has just been signed that you've got uh, Junior De Santos versus Fabricio Verdum. So both former heavy uh, UFC heavyweight champs uh, are signed up for a bare knuckle boxing match in that. So that would be interesting. Uh, You'd have to favour De Santos. Santos was always a very, very good striker, and boxing was probably his greatest asset. Uh, Vadum is an insanely good jiu-jitsu practitioner. Uh, submitted uh, the legendary Fedor in in Strike Force, as well as plenty of other people in uh, the UFC. Um, so it kind of surprised me, if I'm honest, that Vadum took that. I'm guessing it's for the money because boxing is definitely not his strong point. But I would have to say, again, if we were talking betting-wise, um, Julie DeSantos will probably tear him apart. I don't like when we have to do bad news on these podcasts, uh, Ian. I I feel like... And this one I didn't even know about until uh, you fired across your notes to me. And... We've had a bit of a discussion before the the podcast just to make sure that we got his name right. If we've got this wrong, I can only apologise. And certainly with the topic of conversation it is, please let us know if we've got it wrong. Hickson Gracie has uh, come out in an interview and said that he has been suffering from Parkinson's disease for the past two years, I think it was, since 2021. I mean, horrendous news. I mean, uh, an absolute, when you, again, the legend word legend gets banded around too much um in 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 any sports these days but Hickson is genuinely uh, a legend he was always renowned as the best Gracie and the Gracies are obviously the best family ever of uh you know their grandfather or uh far, Hickson's father uh, Helio effectively invented Brazilian jiu-jitsu um and he was always the one that would tear people apart um he uh went ha- he went undefeated in valley chudo valley chudo was a very old school version of the ufc it was basically brazil's version before the ufc came out of kind of no rules cage fighting headbutts were allowed everything like that i think he fought 20 years undefeated in valley chudo um, and it's actually rumoured that he's had around the world over 450 fights. And Hickson was the type of guy, there's plenty, if anyone who's interested wants to have a look on, on YouTube, he would just be in his dojo and just let people come in and say, I want to fight you and be like, all right, I'll take you on. There's a couple of famous videos of him fighting on a beach where he fucks people up on the beach. He was insane and never ever back down uh and 
Um, yeah, I was I was devastated. I'll be honest when I read this one because he he um, he's a he's a hero of mine. Um, he took jiu-jitsu to a new level in that he was one of the first people as well to appreciate the benefits of both yoga and breathing he that he's actually got a, a really good documentary i would suggest to anyone who's listening and interested it's called breathe where it talks about how he has, he has this incredible way of breathing and that he can make his his whole body sort of suck in and he was a big proponent of looking at additional ways that he could make himself better but um, yeah, really, really sad news. All our thoughts go out to, to Hickson and it's a, a fucking horrendous disease, Parkinson's disease in terms. You were wearing a, a, a Gracie t-shirt last week, weren't you? I was. Before we went out. Yeah, which I've got a... seems a, a sad irony. Um, yeah, I mean, I'm just looking through some of his stats. You obviously clearly know far more about him than I do. I'm just seeing that he is... Widely regarded as the greatest Brazilian jiu-jitsu practitioner of all time. He has, um, from what I can see, a ninth degree red belt. Is that the, the highest level attainable? That is the highest. Is I think red even beats, red goes above coral. So you get, you get black, you go through black, you then get what's called coral, and then red. I think we actually talked about this the other week. There's like nine red belts in the whole world. But yeah, he is un, undis, almost undisputedly in, in the MMA world is the best practitioner uh, in the world. He's also one of the best stories about him for anyone that didn't know. Uh, this is uh, Hickson live tweeted, if I ever told you this story. So he was walking in New York and he saw these two guys behind him and he starts live tweeting saying like, two guys behind me, I get the feeling I'm about to get mugged. You could not pick a worse person in the world <laughs> to fucking try and mug than Hicks and Gracie. And the next thing is, there's a couple of pictures and he completely fucks these two guys up. Um, but yeah, and I, I mean, the craziest thing about it all, just to show that the caliber of the man and what a, what a legend he is. He actually, the quote he gave is, I, I, I see the disease as a gift from God. And like, who can embrace something that horrendous? with that level of positivity. So um, in, in, incredible, but yeah, had to, had to put that in the notes and had to definitely, if you haven't, you get a chance to watch his um, uh, documentary called Breathe. It is fascinating to watch. Do you know what age he uh, attained his black belt? I bet it's ridiculous, like 15 not quite that young. That would have been impressive. Uh, 18 years of age, he earned his black belt. Still unbelievably impressive. Yeah, just as you say, straight legend. No, no, no other word for it. No, no hyperbole on that one. And uh, very, very sad news. Yeah, and as you say, uh, thoughts go out to his family. Uh, the Ultimate Fighter 31 episode 4 aired this week. Uh, I'm going to be the first one to challenge you on this one and again as we like to do in this podcast i'm sure you can tell me that i'm wrong and you have no idea how i ever get near to my prediction and then the outcome of the fight um this was the match from the second episode i believe it was cancelled because of what we thought was strep but i don't think it was ever confirmed to be that or staff sorry um that strep would be even worse um but 
it, it never confirmed where I think they said it were coleslaw. Uh, did I just say coleslaw? Yeah, I mean, I don't know what's up with your pronunciation. Have you had a few beers? <laughs> but um, yeah, um, Some coleslaw I, in his face. I thought what was quite interesting because obviously the guys have gone through the weight cut to get down to one thirty-five, and it is brutal, and it was one guy's fault effectively because of the, the there was a. I thought an interesting part of the, probably one of the most interesting parts of the whole uh, episode was the discussion about what the catch weight should be. So Chandler was saying it should be at 145 and giving his fighter sort of the best chance and, and the least weight to cut. Uh, McGregor's team, and again, I get it from a competitive advantage point of view because the other, Timor was, was, is, is quite a big guy, was saying, no, nah, should be 135. Um, they arranged uh, a meeting between Dana quite sensibly, I thought, was like, right, I'll let Chandler and Connor sort it out amongst themselves. So they were supposed to have a meeting. Connor, in Connor true-esque fashion, fucks off the meeting and sends one of his coaches, doesn't he? Um, and they eventually agree on a 142-pound catch weight. Which, I th- what did... Um... Chandler suggests right, the one four four, which <laughs> I feel like even that would have been silly. And, and as much as McGregor will get criticism for saying, "Yeah, one three five or no deal," he was never actually going to stick to that. We've got differing opinions on. You think that that was actually a a real Connor thing? I think it's more showman, and I think the majority of McGregor's personality is, is a showman anyway. But I think it's probably. Oh, let's spice up this episode a little bit. Don't turn up, look a bit of a dick, all that sort of thing. They were always going to agree to it. Um, the first thing that happened, and this is a prime example of uh, my fiance learning very, very quickly from what you say about these uh, UFC fights or MMA fights. It said that the veteran in this instance, uh, is it Timo? Timo was uh, uh, Dagestani. And whenever we watch any fights, um, Ian will always say, Dagestani, I'm backing him. If I don't know anything about it, I'm backing him. In this instance, uh, my fiance has say, Meg turned around and said, I'm going to back him because he's Dagestani. Ian says always to back him. Wasn't wrong, was she? <laughs> she wasn't wrong and she's learning. And, she, and to be honest, she, that probably puts her higher on the prediction score than you after one well, yeah, prediction. 100%. 100%, yeah. exactly. But... Um, no, I'm I'm bored of saying it. They are a different breed of people. I'll be honest with you. There's been a few occasions, but on one hand, I can probably remember the number of Dagestanis that have lost fights. They are some. They if there was a World Cup of hardest people, there's no doubt in my mind Dagestan would win. They they are so tough as a people in terms of what they go through. The training they go through, they're all Sambo experts, which is a, a, a kind of Russian form of, of um, BJJ. So they're incredibly good grapplers. And um, his striking surprised me as well. But I know um, you spoiled it for me whilst I was watching it and said, I can't believe that, what they're talking about. So I was like, ah, oh, thanks for that. But the disagreement I think we have, you, so give me, you, you, give me your view on the first round. First round, I thought, was exceptionally close. I agree Tima had some control. However, I don't think the control was necessarily enough to win the round. I thought that uh, Wells... Are you typing? No. (laughs) 
It is well loud. It's echoing. It's people sat in the cars listening to this now. What the fuck's going on? <laughs> Unprofessional is that. Unprofessional. Um, yeah, I thought it was... Are you just going to turn you to do it anyway? I've stopped. <laughs> You're just watching you do it. Anyway, anyway. Um, so, Tima, I thought, had a little bit of control, but nowhere enough. And I thought that Wells landed some very good significant strikes and I gave the first round to Wells. So I disagreed. I thought good grappling from Timo from the start. He got his back very quickly. He put on a very nice body lock um, with his leg across um, the sort of chest area um, of, of, of the other chat of, of Trevor, which is a horrendous position to be in having done jiu-jitsu, makes it incredibly hard to breathe. He was very, very close to securing a rear naked choke that, to be fair, Wells did really well to get out of it. Um, I, I, I won't deny with you, it was a very close round. And when it then went back on the feet, perhaps uh, Trevor landed the, the, the better shots. But for the, the period of control that Timor had and what he did, I gave the first round to Timor. I think... There isn't much doubt about who took the second round just because it was just constant control. For about, what, two minutes, 30, if not three minutes, it was essentially took him down. As soon as he took him down, I was like, oh, that's a shame. Um, And I thought he did well to get out of it. But by that point, I think the round had already been lost. He he, he did do very well, to be fair. And again, he showed a lot of heart to take that because there was some pretty nasty ground and pound from Timor. Again, that classic... Big elbows. Khabib... Khabib-esque, hold him down, smashing elbows, bringing the heat. Um, so, I, as you say, personally for me, it was a relatively clear 2-0 uh, to Timor. And that puts it rather disappointingly for, for McGregor, 4-0 to the Vets, 4 out of 4. It's pretty boring. I, I said this episode last week, but some sort of spicing up is required here because the Vets... Apart from this one, where I'd, I'd say this was clearly the best fight of the series, the vets have been pretty much dominant. I thought this one could have gone to a third round, which would have been clearly fairer. And McGregor were fuming, wasn't he? He thought it was going to a third round. But and I don't think you could have complained at that, to be fair. And again, I like, I, I'm not a fan, given these guys are fighting to be in the UFC. Personally, I don't like two rounders i think if they're training to be professional ufc fighters it should be a three round fight i think it's a bit the but it has a slight touch to me of a, an analogy that i don't like of this stupid boxing bullshit that you like misfits where it's like two minute rounds for me it should be three rounds and two rounds immediately gives you the option and you could argue that maybe they do this for the show for the for the drama of a draw but I, I couldn't have argued if it had gone to a third round. I think I do think though, had it gone to a third round, Timor looked fresher, particularly after the second round because of the, the blows that he was raining down. And I think he would have ended it, it, you know, would have taken the third round anyway. So I think you could argue, even if it had gone to three rounds, it might have made the result slightly redundant. But um, I thought it was relatively clear. But I could equally agree with you that I, I, I wouldn't have been upset if it had gone to a third round with a, a round apiece. I mean, the, the argument, it's a very good point that you raised there. The argument for the two round or the issue that I would have with the two round um, fights are that there are quite a few 
slow starters in the UFC. I mean, Cowboy Cerrone was quite famous for being a slow starter, and he'd lost quite a few fights because he, he was a slow starter. But in this instance, a two-round fight, does it really indicate that you're worthy of potentially progressing in a, a tournament such as this and then getting a UFC contract? If you lose the first round, you don't always end up losing a UFC fight. In this instance, if you lose the first round, you back significantly against the wall. So, yeah, I think every I might weird. be wrong here, but I think every fight so far, the person who's won the first round has won the fight. Has ended Correct. up winning the fight. It's very, very difficult in a two-round fight when you to come back after you go one nil down. So it means you kind of got to come out like a steam train. Um, you know, potentially empty the gas tank, looking for the victory and, and the KO, which possibly then leaves you exposed. So I've got to be honest, that is one thing that I, I a disagreement I have with the format is I believe they should it should be a three round fight personally rather than two. I think two actually does a disservice to the fighters and makes it more difficult for them than if it was three. Don Carlo's got a new job. Tell you what, fucking, that's the right sign in that, isn't it? Fucking best, probably the best um, football team in the world with arguably one of the best managers ever. That is pretty frightening uh, for what Brazil could be like in 2024 when he joins them. We've got a sort of caveat with this. I don't think it has been confirmed as of yet, has it? I've I thought it'd been agreed but it was 2024. Now, I don't know why it's 2024, and he hasn't, as far as I'm aware, been dismissed or anything from his Real job. So whether he's got a year left on his Real he's job... Got, and he has. Yeah, he's got so, one year left of his contract with Real Madrid. The, the heavy rumours are that he is joining Brazil. Um, it, the rumours started, I think, about a week ago in that at the end of his contract, he is going to become the Brazil manager. I know that Neymar publicly has come out and said that he's backing him to be the next Brazil manager. Um, it, people like Rodrigo are going to love this, aren't they? I mean, it had been rumoured for a while, to be honest with you, you say it, that, it, that the the story's definitely gathered momentum in the last few weeks, but it's been rumoured for a few months that Brazil were very keen on hiring him as their, as their manager. And it's very rare. I mean, sadly, it didn't quite work out this way, but probably the last time I can remember... One or twice, one of the best ever, or you know, a, a really good manager taking on the role of a um, international team. The last two pretty much were England when they did Sven and, uh, Sven and Capello, and look at that—they didn't exactly work out that well. So, in terms of if you were looking for analogies, just by putting an amazing manager with a relatively good team doesn't mean it's going to work, but. I tell you what, as you say, this is Don Carlo, the man that's, you know, won the Champions League as many times as he has, won all those trophies. And if you can imagine him coaching not only the Brazilians that are already there, but by the time he gets to 2024, the people we've talked about, you've got your Victor Roque looking like he's going to sign for Barca coming through. There's Endrick. You've got, obviously, Vinicius Jr. playing as well as he is. I mean, that that's a, a frightening prospect for the next World Cup. Big loss for City this week as well. I know a lot of people will think this will go under the radar a little bit and think, ah, he's replaceable. But Ilkay Gundogan seems to have agreed to join Barcelona. Um, his contract is coming to an end 
this summer. I think it is it end in July the first. I always think it's around that date, isn't it? Yeah, and he's free to join. All contracts, all, it's always from the first of July. That uh, I think the th- technically, I think it's the thirtieth of June. All contracts finish, so it's the first of July that they can sign for the new team. It's a really good signing for Barca, uh, especially on a free. He is almost certainly going to be commanding quite big wages, but he has been really dependent for City. I think in the first season, he was a little bit hit and miss, wasn't he, in, back in 2016 when they first joined, or when he first joined from Dortmund. But every season since, he's always contributed. Certainly in the last three seasons, he seemed to have picked up quite a bit. I think it was the 2020-2021 season where he got double figures in goals, which are a bit... And last season, yeah, suddenly out of nowhere, he became a, a real goal-scoring midfielder as well as doing everything else. I mean, I, I, I think it's a, a massive blow for City, but I don't think it was a surprise given earlier in the week they confirmed that they'd agreed a deal with Chelsea for... Um, Kovacic. Kovacic, yeah. um, who is not quite a like-for-like signing. If you look at Kovacic's stats for Chelsea, I think he scored four goals... Uh, and and seven assists over four seasons. So he doesn't provide you with that same goal threat, but very, very good player. Big fan of his. I think, again, one of those players that flies under the radar. So when they'd signed him, that did make me sort of think that he's probably going to be a replacement for someone. Um, It was one of those strange ones, because again, it seems to come down to this, only seems to be in England where it's a problem. It's about the length of the contract. So... I believe City were only offering either a one or a two-year deal, given that I think he's 30 or 31. Barca have signed him on a three-year deal. And for what he'd done and what he's done for them over that period of time, if nothing else, give him give him the three-year deal and then release him after two and let him go or sell him for a small fee. It, it, it doesn't make a great deal of business sense, personally, to me. Um, but equally, if Barca have come in and offered to double his wage because they can get him on a free, then that might be why. But I think that's a huge loss for City. Agreed. Uh, Osenheim, or Os- Osenheim, Jesus, I'm, I'm developing whatever you've got here. Um, Napoli striker. <laughs> so, Osman. There we go. There we go. We got there eventually. Uh, has It's quite publicly come out. Um, or the Napoli's president, should I say, has quite publicly come out and said that he's met with his uh, agent and has set his price tag this summer at over 150 million euros. Uh, no clubs have, have apparently come close to it. I can't imagine that he's going to be leaving this summer. No, and it, so he signed a two-year extension is 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 the, the, the news. I know plenty of big teams were looking at him, particularly in the Premier League. Man, you were having a look. Chelsea, I believe in particular, I believe even um, PSG, um, we're having a look as well. Um, The only thing I would say that hasn't come out that would not surprise me, given the way that agents work in the world that we do, I would be shocked if there is not a release clause in there that gets triggered, if not immediately after, say, the first year. And I'm sure that will be set at a ridiculous figure that we're talking about, 100, 120 million but nothing's come out about that yet. But if you were him and you were you were negotiating to sign, personally, I would be saying, look, I want to stay. I'm doing well. You want me to stay, but I want a release clause in there. So I, I've got to be honest, being cynical as I often am, I would be very, very surprised if there isn't a release clause 
at some point that can get triggered during that extension, probably after a year. I mean, it would depend entirely on... I mean, if, if the president has come out of Napoli and said very openly that that's the level of sum that they're looking for, I wouldn't be surprised if that if there was a release clause, and it's always up in the air these days with a lot of top players' contracts, if there was a release clause, I would expect it's going to be around that. There's no way that they would set a price tag of something like that and then a release clause of you know, 70 million be evident because no one's going to pay the 150 but i think it's psg and, and man united that are looking quite heavily at him um i, I think, think the only thing i'd say that. is i think you've got to if you're looking at a negotiation in that the negotiation is he'll sign for longer but we want a release clause that's lower than the 150 you're asking for would certainly be the the standard way that you would look to negotiate that so um, you're right, no one's going to pay 150 and he is an absolutely quality player and no one's worth that. But if you were looking for a striker to, um, you know, up there with Haaland in terms of his goal output um, to sign, he would be the one. But I, as I say, I, I might be being wrong here, but I would be staggered if there's not a release clause. And if, if I had to be, you know, again, a betting man, I, I wouldn't be surprised if that's like 110, 120 million euros. So, uh, Napoli have secured him for longer, uh, get the benefit of him for a period, but have to have, 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 have had to suck up a little bit of a drop in value if he does want to go. I've been quite impressed with your hometown's club, Ian, this week. Uh, impressed with A, how shrewd they are, or how shrewd they've been, and B, just how harsh and heartless they are. Uh, Bournemouth have sacked Gary O'Neill this week. Uh, he shocked quite a number of people, including myself, unfortunately, by keeping Bournemouth in the Premier League last season. Did a, a fantastic job considering where they were and a lot of people had, had written them off. They sacked him and within maybe half an hour appointed um, Andoni Iriola, who Leeds were linked with quite heavily in the turn of the year. Uh, Iriola is a fantastic up-and-coming manager, Bielsa's disciple, He's obviously got a number of these. He plays very, very good football. I think for Bournemouth to have attracted him, they must have offered him something quite significant, whether it's a big transfer budget, whether it's control over certain things in the future. I'm not entirely sure, but I'm really impressed with that. I'm really impressed with how quickly they've got things done as well. I would agree with you. I think it's one of those that you've got to look at in equal measures. Uh, very, very harsh for Gary O'Neill. I mean, I never thought he, he he always struck me as a an interim appointment, someone that knew the club, had been there a while. They wanted that him to, to, to keep him up. So that in some ways, the fact they've got rid of him doesn't surprise me. The fact that he kept him up and that some of the performances they put in towards the end of the season where they did very well seems very harsh. But I think you're right. It's an incredibly shrewd sign-in. Bournemouth are one of those teams that do slightly fly under the radar because they do have some relatively sort of um, unknown wealthy Russian owners, I believe. So I, I, I would hazard a guess for a man of his stature, Ariola, and his his potential and, and the number of teams that were looking at him, he must have been offered something pretty sizable in terms of wages and a budget, I would suspect. You just call him Ariola. As opposed to Iriola. Uh, your Ariola's are your nips, aren't they? I'm gonna call him Adoni then. 
Colin, we're, we're on first. Yeah, we're, we're brilliant on first today, name we? terms. We're on we're, first name terms, me and Adoni. But we're um, brilliant with our pronunciation today, aren't we? It, it, it dashes Leeds' hopes a little bit. I know, obviously, Leeds were li- heavily linked with him uh, in 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 uh, when they were looking for a new manager. I think it'd be safe to say, and I'm sure you would agree that uh, sadly the relegation of Leeds um, dashed that, and that probably wasn't ever a realistic possibility anyway quite literally no chance that he would ever... Dr- it's like uh, there's a few Leeds fans expecting that um, Gallardo is going to drop down and take... Cause, yeah, there's more chance of me taking Leeds on than there is of, of Gallardo. Uh, but, I mean, Leeds at the moment, I'm not spending too much time on them because they're a waste of space at this point in time. I don't want to waste my breath on my team. But um, we, well, we, links... if we got, we might as well let's go off, to- off topic a little bit. See, we're, we're, you know, let's get let's freestyle this like a little us. bit off our notes. Um what, what are you thinking then? So there's been a few links. I mean, Patrick Vieira seems to be the one more recently over the coming days that has been linked. What what are your thoughts on him or what are your thoughts on the other options that seem available? Top three links at the moment seem to be, so Brendan Rodgers was apparently one that they were speaking to and then they weren't speaking to him and then they'd never been speaking to him and then the press had lied. It's very, very unlikely. Yeah, exactly. Off. Unlikely that uh, the press would ever just make shit up, would they, just to get publicity? What um, the press? Well, yeah, I'm going to say. Are you, are you living in an alternative universe? Never, never. Uh, the final three, should we call them, seem to be whittled down, and apparently as well, there were twenty candidates. I don't don't believe that whatsoever. They had 20. Tw- twenty candidates, and they had twenty Zoom calls, and they've whittled it down to face to face interviews this week. Rumors are that it is between Scott Parker, oh dear. Um, Patrick Vieira doesn't fill me with that much hope and Daniel Farker who, whose name I don't think anyone can pronounce whether it's Fark, whether it's Farke, whether it's Farker it will be one of those that will just be mispronounced by everyone I think for the, the rest of the time my personal hope is that Farker is the one that they get I would put Vieira second behind him and then I will put Scott Parker third. Scott Parker is a really strange one because if someone turns around to you and says, this person has managed in the championship twice and he's got both teams promoted that he, he managed. And he's also got, I believe, the second or third highest points per game of any championship manager over 50 games. You would think, oh, why would you not want him? The mitigating circumstances there is that he was in charge of Bournemouth and Fulham, both of which who had unbelievable squads for the the championship, neither of which he was able to win the league with. I think he came second with Bournemouth and he went up in the playoffs with Fulham when they beat Brentford, if I'm correct. So he's not one that I would be particularly interested with. He also wears a lot of Tom Brown tops. I don't know if you've ever seen Tom Brown clothing. No. So I'm about as fashionable as, (laughs) at least fashionable as it gets. So I've got no idea who that is. Tom Brown clothing, and I'm going to have a quick check just to make sure that I get this right. So he wears a lot of Tom Brown suits, a lot of Tom Brown jumpers. Anyone that can afford to wear a £590 sweatshirt is not the person that I want managing my club. I get the fashion icon and all that sort of stuff. Don't focus on your fashion. Bang on a tracksuit. Get managing the team. Do your job. Not the funny me. thing with Parker is I, I didn't know those stats and that's actually quite interesting that um, he's got that kind of win record points-wise and taking both teams up. Um, sadly, as the world is these days, most people are remembered for their most recent actions in which he was the worst, statistically the worst ever 
manager of Club Bruges. Uh, I think he had the lowest win rate of any manager ever in Belgium for that team. And and I, I can't help but feel if you took that out of the equation, I could that would make a lot of sense and I could see some benefit. But I can't help but feel that kind of taints his reputation and his more recent performances that um, that would be a no. Farker uh, would seem to be... I, if you had to ask me, would be the most seem to be the most obvious choice because obviously it seems as well Leeds have appointed the Norwich is it director of football uh, is a position. They have not appointed the Norwich director of football, so he has recently announced that he'll be leaving his role. However, will be working his notice period. Uh, Norwich have again quite publicly said if someone wants to appoint him, they can do. Doesn't matter if he's working his notice period or not, but. Because he's working the notice period, they'll have to pay his release clause. So if Leeds do end up appointing him, which heavily rumoured that they will do, but nothing confirmed, that won't be until at least January. So the person that they've got at the moment, I forget his first name, but it's Hammond is his second name. He was the interim sporting director at Newcastle, did very, very well for them in the January in which he was there. He brought in people like Kieran Trippier, Guimarez, uh, (laughs) Wood, which obviously that one we'll, we'll put to one side, uh, Burn, all those people, and did very, very well. Uh, so I, I'm not necessarily outraged by that at all. But it's quite interesting that you mentioned Daniel Farker being the more obvious appointment because you just said that you should be judged on your most recent appointment. So Daniel Farker did fantastically in the Championship. He has managed three seasons in the Championship, all with Norwich. First season, I believe he finished about 14th. It was pretty much a standard, boring season for them. The other two seasons, he got promoted, went up as champions in the same season that Bielsa took over Leeds and battered Bielsa's Leeds, um, just on that point. Went up, had a horrendous record. I think they spent about four or five million uh, when they got promoted, which is never enough to transform a squad for a Premier League. Then gets relegated, then stays in some back up the next year as champions then starts to lose games. I think he loses like four games and they replaced him with Dean Smith and that didn't go well for them. Um, his most recent job was Borussia Mönchengladbach. Didn't do well there at all. He did pretty poorly. It's uh, quite a big step up though, isn't it? If we're being honest again, just being, you know, uh, honest about these things, like from Norwich uh, in the championship to a relatively, you know, at least mid-table team in the Bundesliga. That's quite a big step up in quality to, to 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 say just to give him a bit of credit where credit's due there to say that he 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 failed in his recent job that's a big big jump in quality i would have said for for, for someone sacked so failed uh being critical he's still the man that i'd want in charge of the the potential uh picks there and then the third being patrick vieira who I believe a day or so ago was the overwhelming favourite and went massively down in the bookies odds. And now he is not the overwhelming favourite. It's back to Farker. Patrick Vieira is a weird one in that did all right in the first season with Nice. Horrendous afterwards. Did all right the first season with Palace, although his stats would suggest and the team stats would suggest that they were punching the position that they ended up in in comparison to where they should have been. Second season, again, there's mitigating circumstances in that. I think the 10 of the 11 games that they played in 2023, which led to his sacking, were all against 
top half of the table and he went on a horrendous winless streak. And if you remember correctly, he went on a, a streak of, was it three games where they didn't have a shot on target? target yeah. Which uh, is horrendous. He's one of those weird managers that I think I, I gave you the analogy when we were discussing it earlier in the week that um, he's like a shorter period of time bounce than Conte. You appoint Antonio Conte, you know you're going to get one, two seasons where he's probably going to turn them into title contenders or do really well. By the third season, the club's a fucking disaster zone and he's going to get fired. Vieira seems to be very similar, but for a year as opposed to three years. So um, I, I, I could see a benefit in him. For me, if he was appointed on a one-year deal and it's almost clear if he gets promoted, we'll reconsider. I don't think that would be the worst signing myself because I do think he does seem to get this immediate uh, bounce and, and improvement from the players. I don't think he's ever a long-term appointment for me. Of those three, then, who are you, you going with? Who are you, not? Who do you think it's going to be? Who are you to go with? Who would I go with? Yeah, of those three. I'll be honest, I'd go with Vieira. I think, I think it Ooh. would be Farker because of what's happening and what we've talked about and the reasons why. If it was up to me and it was my choice, well, I'll be honest with you, I'm going to throw another one out there and I know there's a slight bit of bias here and you're not the bit. I'd go Stevie G. Jesus I'm you, fucking Christ. In Stevie G with Gary McAllister in the championship will get you promoted. That would be my shout for Leeds. I'm really glad that you're not in any way, shape or form. But he <laughs> would be a disaster. There's rumours that he would be linked to Chef Wednesday. Um, but for Chef Wednesday, because they sacked their manager, which was a very, very strange, um, poor Darren uh, over there. But um, there, I think I was looking at their odds and Paul Ince went from 100 to 1 to odds on favourite last night. So if they end up appointing Paul Ince, I'd feel very much sorry for them. Someone knows something about that, I tell you, don't yeah, you? Yeah, exactly. Dropping from 100 to 1 to fucking odds on, someone's got some inside information there. Someone's just someone's just won four grand or whatever it is when he does get well, appointed. That, but... That's like a, that, that, that's a, uh, what's his name? Um, Ivan Tony job. But, you know, <laughs> Paul Lintz rings up his family. By the way, I've been offered this job. Stick a fucking, stick the mortgage on me getting it at 100 to 1. But yeah, that's... Tom Lintz that, just batted it on. Yeah. That is suspicious. When I see odds drop like that, I'm like, something is not right here in that level. Of, that's insane. You, ne- you never see yeah. a drop in odds in something like that so that's I didn't know that but that's quite interesting but um sorry I thought it was just worth wandering off topic just to talk about Leeds seeing as I know you're so delighted and happy about them at the moment oh yeah overwhelmed overwhelmed um back to our favorite subjects at the moment Kante has finally been confirmed for Al Itihad uh he has moved over the Saudi revolution continues Crazy. Again, still, you, you. I think we slightly disagree on this one. I still think he had plenty to offer for a couple more years in the Premier League. I, I certainly would have taken him on a free at Liverpool and think he could have done something as a um, uh, a rotation player to our, our team, given what he does and, and, and giving Fabinho a rest and adding something there. I think it was something insane, like 86 million year, um, quid a year He's he signed for. Um, and they are just going crazy at the moment. I mean, I know we've got this further down, so again, I'm going to go off topic and just change the order up a bit, but the breaking news as well, based on Saudi Arabia, is that Ruben Neves has just signed for 
a team out there as well, which is out of all of the ones recently for me, the most bizarre because he is in the absolute prime. He's 26, fantastic player, could have probably had his pick of top five teams in the majority of leagues and he's decided to go to Saudi Arabia. So money, money. Yeah. He, he, he's on a ridiculous amount of money. And again, we don't, I don't want to go over old ground. We've discussed this. I'll tell you now, the Saudi league is going to go exactly the same way as the Chinese league did, which is you get a load of money chucked at these players. They go over there for a year or so year, 18 months. They make a ridiculous load of money They suddenly realise, what the fuck am I doing playing in the desert, playing in this sweltering heat, playing with a load of clowns, and they then want to move, and some team snaps them up for like someone like Neves. It's gone for 47. I'd take a bet with you now, within 18 months, somebody in Europe signs in for, say, 30 mil. I'm not betting out with you because I keep losing these bets. So You know what I mean. But (laughs) he'll be back. He, He will be back in Europe. Within two years, undoubtedly. Kante again. When, when players, when they're at the your, your Ronaldo's, your people, you know Benzema. When it's at the end of their career, I get it. Make the money, take it, take the easy life, take the easy league. That makes sense. He is the strangest signing for me because he is literally in the prime of his career. If there is any team in the world that I am. Um bitter and jealous about at this point in time it's Newcastle so sticking with the Saudis uh, they are close to finalizing a deal for Tenali from AC Milan this is also and we'll just speak about it in just a second but this is also on top of the fact that they're heavily rumored to be after Chiesa at uh, Juve and after Hernandez as well uh, at AC this is getting ridiculous they're going to be oh. such a good force next season Fair and, and fair play to him. Like I, I, in some ways, it's quite refreshing to see the fact that they they're back in Howe, who a lot of people wouldn't have said would be a man you'd you'd entrust with a couple of hundred mil transfer budget. Um, they've obviously made uh, far ahead of their projected plan the Champions League, so that they're, they're going for it. And I, I like seeing it. I mean, it's going to make them a considerably better team, and it's a worry for me as a Liverpool fan that they're going to get better, but. Tonali is a amazing player, absolutely brilliant from what I've seen of him at AC. Um, they he was given again. They, t- players love to be given the new title, don't they? But he was when he was coming up uh, the, the team. I, for, I believe it was Verona, if I'm not mistaken, or somebody else, Empoli, who he signed for before AC. He was being referred to as the new Perlo. So that gives you the type of idea of the, the type of player he is. He's a deep line um, playmaker. And for me, given Newcastle earlier in the week were linked with Barella, that we both said, I think about on the last show, what a fantastic signing he would be. Tonali is even better. So, so that, that, that shows real intent for Newcastle. He's already got 14 caps for Italy. And I'm pretty sure he's like 21. But that is a... 70-odd mil, I think. So, you know, they're, they're paying uh, a good chunk. But that is, and that, that might be out of si- signings of the summer so far. That might be it. Not Declan Rice, a sign of the summer, who both Arsenal and Manchester City seem to be uh, going at each other for. Do you know what? I'd take Tenali over Rice, personally. Ooh, interesting. Um, 
so I mean, so that the, on onto the rice thing. This is a real merry-go-round at the moment, isn't it? So it seemed relatively clear that he was moved. Arsenal seemed to be the favourites. Uh, an indicator for me that um, seemed to suggest that was also potentially happening was um, they had all agreed, apparently in principle, a deal to sell Thomas Party to Juve. So kind of making some money, swapping some some uh, space in the squad for Rice. Um, but then it seems that uh, in the last couple of days, um, City have come in uh, for him uh, with a late deal. Um, if I was Rice, I think you've got to look at no further than your favourite former Leeds player of Calvin Phillips of what can go wrong if you make that move. But if I was West Ham, you could argue selling him to City is the better deal. And you say, I want money and Phillips because you get a ready-made replacement effectively. So that one will be really interesting to see. The only other team I'd seen that seemed to be in serious running for him is, is Man U. And apparently Man U have offered money and either Maguire or Matomine. And again, surely if West Ham were going to take that, you'd be looking at um, McTominay as, again, a ready-made replacement. So you're losing a player, you're getting some money in, you've got someone that goes straight into that position, and then you can strengthen the rest of the squad with um, the, the money that you've got. You said if you were Rice, you wouldn't choose to go to Manchester City. And if you look at Phillips, it would show how much of a bad move that is. I just want to challenge you on that. Calvin Phillips, he moves over to Manchester City, admittedly, does very, very little to contribute to them. I've got his stats here. So, League Cup, uh, one appearance, um, I believe one appearance starting and one appearance off the bench, plays 103 minutes. Premier League, two starts, 10 appearances, 291 minutes. Champions League, no starts, three substitute appearances, 39 minutes. In his season, he has played very minimal. He has had a very, very minimal impact. He's been a bit of a ongoing joke. He's also currently now a treble winner. He is also being looked at by Bayern Munich very, very heavily, apparently, as someone that they are very, very interested in. Is that necessarily a bad move for Declan Rice, considering he's younger than Phillips? If he was to go not necessarily play as much and it'd be very difficult to get Rodri out of that team because for me, he's the best defensive midfielder in the world at this moment in time and that there really isn't much comp- competition, in my opinion anyway, as good as Rice is. But Rice is better than Phillips, so Rice is almost certainly going to play more than Phillips has done this season. Even if he didn't, if he goes and in one season wins three medals, becomes a Premier League winner, becomes a Champions League winner and becomes a you know, whatever cup it might be, whether it's FA Cup or, or League Cup on top of that, is that really a bad move for his career? I mean, the other point you could say of Rice, just to, before circling back before, is that because of Gundogan going, they could put right. Rice has more skills, I think, than Phillips in particularly. I've been very impressed with him for England recently that he seems to show uh, a better ability to carry the ball. He's got an incredible range of passing. Some of the passes I've seen him do for England recently during the World Cup and in the friendlies is incredible. So you could argue that that might mean he's got a better chance of getting in than Phillips. 
we had this discussion uh, at work today and I think ultimately it depends on your personality type. So Calvin Phillips can sit there. He's got all of those medals. You know, I, he, in his mind, he can tell himself, I'm a treble winner. I've got this. I've got that. He fucking knows he didn't contribute jack shit to any of those competitions. And for me, you as a footballer, you get one chance to do this and you get unlike a normal job where you get a, a career and a period of time to prove and you might take a backward step or you know whatever go somewhere for a period of time before you move somewhere else football because of the the duration of your career you don't and I can't help but feel myself as much as it's nice to have that and I am as you know super competitive want the medals would want the glory I can't help but feel if I was Phillips, I'm sat there and I'm looking at my medals and my mantelpiece and deep down inside, I'm like, I didn't really earn those. I didn't contribute enough. And it depends to me on what does Rice want? Does Rice want to play every game and potentially say Arsenal, go to Arsenal and win less, but be a key component of the team and, and play more and feel he can be a real part and a contribution to that team or does he just want money and the glory that goes with those medals and as you say me personally I couldn't look at myself in the mirror if I was Phillips because he sat there with the three medals around his neck and I if it was me I'm looking at myself like did I really did I really deserve these did I did I did did I you know have I played a part that's contributed to these being one no, no, he clearly hasn't. But he doesn't have to look himself in the mirror because he can look at himself in his three shiny gold medals for the most prestigious tournament in the world, one of the most prestigious leagues in the world, and then a sideshow cup that no one cares about. But So what would you do? You're, I'd, you're do what Phillips has done. I'd do what Phillips has done. Especially at Declan Rice's age as well, considering he's younger than Phillips. For me, you've rightfully said a, a footballer's career is significantly shorter so why not go and get the money, go and double his wage. Uh, with Phillips, I'm sure he quadrupled his wage to go from Leeds to, to Man City. It'll probably be double from West Ham to, to City. Win all the things that will make your career memorable. He'll still be having an impact on the England team. His career isn't going to fizzle out. I think that's the the difference here in terms of Rice and Phillips. Rice is clearly evidently the better player and is younger, he's got more time. So I would absolutely be saying, go to City, go win some, sign a you know five-year deal, whatever it might be. If it's not working out for you in two or three years, go join someone else. I think that's the move for him. And I think that's what he'll do as well. Interesting. And as you say, it's a personality type. As you say, you, you are obviously clearly more of a glory hunter than me, exactly. who's a, a grafter and wants to feel that I've earned what I win. Uh, whereas you want to be given shit on a plate, so uh, I think that 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 makes it very clear between the two. The distinction between the two of us, I would say. I've supported Leeds United all my life. Any semblance of success, even if you have to give it to me with blood in your hands, I will snatch it from you. Yes, please. No, no, and it'll be interesting to see how it pans out. Um, as you say, this I, I get, I get the feeling this will be the saga of the summer. I don't think there is going to personally be a quick 
end to this one. I could see this one rumbling on for a good month or so. So I get the feeling this will be something that we will um, be chatting about again in, in, in future episodes as, as to what happens. I don't get the feeling this is going to be one where someone comes in, bang, quick, it's done and dusted. So I, I get the feeling this will rumble on. So that's, um, we'll see who's right. Probably me, given your element with predictions. So uh, I'm saying Arsenal, you're saying Man City then. Uh, everyone's favourite Portuguese crybaby dickhead has become the first man to play 200 internationals. Uh, he's still well behind the female record holder uh, in Canada. I believe it's Sinclair with 323. But it's still a fantastic achievement uh, for anyone to play that many internationals, certainly becoming the first male to do it. I still think that his career is is essentially irrelevant at this point. I know that he's still playing international, but to do what he's done in the last few years, uh, I'm not interested in him. Totally agree. I mean, you get, yeah, you've got to take your hat off to him. 200 internationals over the course of, I think it's 20 years, is incredibly impressive. The longevity, as much as I hate him, he's a genuine athlete to keep his body in that condition at 38 to be able to play like he does um i i didn't write the stat down i gotta be honest but i think it's it's step 200 internationals i think it's something like it's in the region of 120 to 130 goals so it's 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 crazy impressive stats and numbers but um you're right he's a well let's be fair he's not going to beat christine sinclair is he He's not going to pay, play another 123 games for Portugal. I think it's pretty obvious to say that. And in, for that, just out of curiosity, how the fuck did she get to that number? How many international games did Canada play to get to 323 appearances? What was she playing until she was like 70? That, that is amazing statistic. Uh, Arsenal, while we were talking about them, obviously challenging for Rice at the moment. They've made some, some good signs, I think, uh... Kai Havertz, they seem to be closing in on. Uh, Timber is another one from Ajax, who I rate significantly highly. I, I think he's a very, very good player. They have apparently put a £30 million bid in for him. Uh, Rumours I've seen is that you want a bit of him. I would take that all day, mate. And there's, For a start, there's no way Ajax is selling him for 30 uh, I've read that they want at least 50 And I think given his age and what he looks uh, from what I've seen, he can play right back. Uh, he can play centre back. He scores a fair amount of goals. He, again, without wanting to be, um, you know, stereotypical, he very is very reminiscent of Van Dyke. He can bring the ball out very well. He, you know, he's got a lot of the Van Dyke esque skills. Um, and I would be absolutely delighted if we bounced Matip or Canate and got in Timber. But um, I don't see anywhere near him going for 30 million. Yeah, he's, he's a very good player and anything less than 15 in the current climate and you see uh, certain players going for significantly more than that. Maguire is always the one that you look at. And, and not, not only that, but I mean, look, I, um, Ajax uh, have, have probably got an, as an astute chairman in terms of transfer negotiations as Levy is for... Uh, for Tottenham, when you consider they got what was it? How much did they get in the end for Anthony? A hundred and something or ninety, whatever million for for Anthony. Like that is super impressive, and they have made a killing on players. I think I saw a stat. I might be wrong here, but the two teams 
over the last five years that have made the most money from transfers is Ajax and Benfica. So um, they are very, very shrewd negotiators. They have that constant uh, conveyor belt of talent that they'll sell him for 50. They've probably already got some other 19-year-old Dutch kid who could step immediately into his boots and he'll be just as good next year. Well, they did the same with De Ligt in a couple of years back to Juventus. I think it was about 75 million euros. So they're clearly very, very good at these uh, transfers and more power to them. I think it's it's very good to see bigger clubs held to account and to pay these ridiculous and extortionate transfer fees if they really want that player. Show us the money, so to speak. Yeah. I mean, while we're sticking on Liverpool, quick one I just had to add in, and this probably went, went under your radar, but obviously on the, the forums and the sites that I read, I mean, I found this one simply astonishing, if I'm honest with you. That So Ian Rush, as much as I hate to say it, is um, Liverpool's top ever goal scorer, uh, came out and said that he claims Bobby Firmino might be the best ever player to wear number nine for Liverpool. No. (laughs) No. Like, I don't know what he's been smoking or drinking, but to ignore himself... Above that, for a start, is crazy. Uh, I was never Rush's biggest fan, but the, the t- Torres and Suarez. What we, I, I loved Bobby and what he did for the team was incredible when we had that front three. But to suggest he's better than Suarez and Torres at their peak is mental, absolutely mental. Um, did Torres? Uh, did sorry, Suarez wear number nine? Uh, he wore number seven, so may, that, maybe. Right, so he's maybe. not the. How could he be the best number nine? If he number nine. I, I, I took it more literally, perhaps that he was talking about the best ever striker rather than maybe number nine. But maybe you're right. Maybe I've looked at it in slightly the wrong way. But Suarez certainly did. Sorry, Torres certainly did wear number nine. Uh, yeah, Torres definitely did. He still isn't your best number nine. Um, clearly, that goes to. El Hajjouf. Obviously. Rick, Ricky Lambert, Benteke. Forgetting all these big Ricky, names. Ricky Lambert, Jesus Christ. That was one of like, we, we, I know we bought half of Southampton's team, but Jesus, we got suckered for that one, didn't we? Fuck me. That was horrendous. But I'm trying to think here um, the number nine. You had they are, have you heard, though, who is now going to inherit the number nine this season? Uh, let, me, let me guess. Is it the Uruguayan Andy Carroll, who also had the number nine? It is indeed. Uh, so Nunez has swapped numbers and has inherited the number nine. So we'll be wearing that this season. Do you think Torres is your best number nine of all time then? As in actual number nines? At his peak, yeah. If you look, again, such a big... Well, no, it's, very, it's a very subjective question again, isn't it? You know me, I always context. But at his peak in terms of what he did for... One and a half seasons in particular, he was unplayable. First, quickest player to ever score 50 goals at Anfield, got to 50 goals in 52 games. He was literally, un- most people, again, we've talked about this before, um, Vidic easily goes into most people's um, Premier League best team of all time. There was that infamous time we ripped Manu apart at um, Old Trafford 4-1. Torres got him sent off and actually made him look like a schoolboy that they were playing a different sport. So for me, I would have Torres as a better player than than Rush in his prime, easily. Are you, are you forgetting anyone? 
It's a big pause here. De- depends. You're obviously leading me with a question here. I um, am. I, I actually. This is a what, series. Fowler? Are you trying Robbie, to say? Robbie I think Fowler? Robbie Fowler's a better number nine for you. I'm sorry. No, not for. Is it, is it? Is it certainly in in the in the discussion? But at his peak, he wasn't better than Torres. No way. 116 goals in 188 games. And what was Torres's overall record? I don't know. He only played like 50 games, didn't he? He's always games. fucking injured, but I bet you talk <laughs> goal for game. Torres, I'm sure Torres would have a better goal for game ratio. But Fowler's definitely in the in in the discussion. There's no doubt, and that was my thoughts as well. But yeah, you're, you're right. Suarez did wear seven, and maybe I've over I've misinterpreted the question there that it, it's the best actual number nine rather than the best striker. But so I think okay. any footballer who celebrates by pretending to sniff a line of coke. Um, at the edge of the pitch, clearly has to be your best number nine. Well, that was a brilliant celebration when he was accused of it in front of the Everton fans who fucking hated him as well. That was a magical moment for a Liverpool fan. And for me, also, the game you've got to talk about was Cant- when he ruined Cantona's return. So Cantona, after his eight-match ban, we drew two all with them and Robbie Fowler scored two great goals, including an exquisite lob over Peter Schmeichel. So um, he definitely deserves mention for that. But um, yeah, I just thought that was pretty crazy, personally, from uh, from from me and Rush. Just last thing on football then. Um, a Champions League finalist has joined Fenerbahce on a free transfer. Amazing signing, even at his age. So Dzeko has signed for Fenerbahce. I think he's 36, maybe 37. So he, he, is, he, is, he is pushing it. Um, but obviously the Turkish league is not exactly um, the greatest. And I don't know how much, uh, again, attention you pay to some of these foreign leagues, whereas my, sadly, gambling addiction means that I do. But um, I don't know if you saw who their top, the top scorer in uh, the Turkish league was this year, which was Enna Valencia, formerly of West Ham, if you can remember the Ecuadorian, played for West Ham for a period and maybe Everton. I think he scored something like 29 goals in 26 games. A ridiculous record. So if you imagine him, imagine what Dzeko can score in that league. Could we play in the Turkish league? I won't want to, but could we do a job? We'd probably have a chance of fitting in at right back. I I would say one of the lower teams. um... Fuck that. Get me up front. I have playing defence. I might be a defender by trade, but... If I'm going to Turkish league, put me centre forward and get ten or fifteen goals a season. But they, I mean, they have some decent players. They 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 sneak a few over there that you kind of don't realise that go under the radar. Like I mean, look at um, uh, Galatasaray. So Galatasaray, I've got a card. Yeah, let's up let's front. not look at let's not look at Galatasaray. Okay, I know they're Fuck not that bad. They've got a cardi up front. They managed to get Zanolio, incredibly highly rated on loan. You know, they they, they, they give they, a they fuck. Get, they sneak some. They sneak some players over. I, I would have to guess. Like, this is a complete speculation on my part, but I would hazard a guess they have a relatively low tax rate because you seem to get loads of players go over there. So I could only assume they go over there for money, and they don't really have to pay a huge deal of tax as well. Would be my guess, but that is absolute complete speculation on my part, and it could be completely wrong. Just a final note on Galatasaray as well. Um, fuck them. Some big boxing news, finally. Are we ready for this? Are you, gonna, are you sat down? Are you ready? I'm, 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 I'm sat down and ready to, be, to just to make sure that I don't fall over. 
Tony Bellew is potentially coming out of retirement to fight Lucas Rosansky for the Bridgeway World Championship. I did not know this. This is one I hadn't heard about. And Bridgeway, I only remember, but this is the one you talked about recently. That's Did you say it's in between light heavyweight and cruiser and was brought in by one sanctioning body named after a, a, a was it a young lad that was attacked by a dog? It is a young lad that was attacked by a dog, correct. It's the WBC and it's in between cruiserweight and heavyweight. Interesting. I mean, he's been out a while, Bellew. I mean, he must have been retired a good, what, Three, four, five years? It's not a 2018, wasn't it? He got sparked out by Usyk. Oof, I mean, so that's... It's, it's quite a long period of time, but he's been on TalkSport today and he's basically said, yeah, I'd pulverise him. Uh, I don't see anything that is worthwhile from him. I don't think he is a very good fighter. Um, I'll come out of retirement and I'll spark him out, essentially. And I don't think, well, I don't think he actually said the words that he would be coming out of retirement. It was heavily hinted and he would say... Look, I'll take his title off him. Bold move. I mean, I was like Bellew, to be honest with you. I thought he was always an underrated fighter. He never got quite his props, obviously. Scouser, so I always had a little bit of love for him in in, in that respect. Um, I enjoyed him, obviously, beating Hay and Hay's pathetic excuses when he did lose to, to, to Hay. Um, but that's a bold move for me um, uh, coming out after that, that, you know, five years retired uh uh, and the damage boxing takes on you, that is quite an impressive move. And I wouldn't, I mean, the other guy, I admittedly have never really heard of, I can't imagine he's that great. So he probably has got a chance, but he pro- have they given any timeline on that in terms of when that, how long a training camp he'd need? Well, whether it's sort of tongue in cheek or not, again, it's talk spot, isn't it? But it, it would be, I think Rosansky is, 37, 38, something like that. He's undefeated. He's never been beaten. But Bridgeway is one of these weight classes where it's still widely, con- you know, it's controversial in that people say, um, that's not a real weight class. You can't have one uh, governing body and one weight class in that governing body and that's it and just have one world champion. And as I say, and as you rightfully said, it was created as a bit of a love letter to this this young lad who was a bit of a hero. The most famous name that's been at Bridgeweight is uh, Alan Babich, and he lost quite recently to Rosansky. So it's not full of big fighters. If you're a a, a serious fighter, quote unquote, you're going to be the one to be the the cruiserweight world champion, or you're going to be want to be the heavyweight world champion. No one really grows up thinking, oh, I really want to be the Bridgeweight world champion. That's all yeah, I want I mean, in life. It feels a bit like a a graveyard for fighters of Bellew's kind of age and character that coming out of retirement might get a shout, someone who's, um, you know, on the slide age-wise and performance-wise in those other categories, to be fair. But I might be doing him a disservice, maybe comes out and does really impressive. The only thing I would say is when it's only one sanctioning body like that, it very much limits your next fight. So let's say, play this out, he comes out, he sparks a guy out and wins. You know, how, how long, what happens to the, you know, how many contenders do they have at Bridgeweight lined up for his next fight? Exactly that. Um, in serious boxing news, Anthony Joshua and Dillian White is apparently very close to being a done deal. And it could be, according to the press, confirmed next week. 
However, in the interim, it would appear that negotiations with Dillian White are back on and the rumours are that we could see him fight Dillian White on August 12th. Um, again, it feels a bit of a disappointment given what we, we know that heavyweight boxing is a, is generally a bit of a disappointment at the moment. Um, you'd fancy AJ to win that rematch if he's in tip-top shape and, and, and you know, Dillian White is, is tough and can certainly take a punch and um, may well um, go the 12 rounds rather than get sparked out. But I don't really see a way that he could win. If I'm honest with you, I think that would be AJ all day in terms of the victory. Um, and again, I suppose that's one that we keep an eye on in terms of um, is there a, a confirmation or further announcement by the time we come to do uh, next week's episode? Well, the big rumours about the Joshua Wilder fight is that it's that super card that we've discussed previously. They want Fury Usyk on it. Have you seen who else they wanted on it? Go on. I guess. We've and talked Garnu. about quite Engano, they wanted Engano on. It makes total sense. If, if if I were them, I'd want Engano on it. I, I, that 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 to me is perfect logic. That if you're going to go for it, and in the card, obviously they've sadly lost. Well, sadly lost. We've gained uh, Crawford Spence Junior, which is obviously upcoming shortly, and we'll we'll preview before that fight. They were originally trying to look at putting that on on, on that card as well to make it a real super card. But um, yeah, I'll be honest with you. That if if you said to me, have them big four on there, who else would you stick on there to make it better? Stick on Francis all day. Tell me who he's fighting. See if you can guess. Or who rumoured to be fighting. Is it who we have suggested before? It is indeed. It's Derek Chisora, apparently. It makes but again, we 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 should be boxing managers or promoters because we get the that it's the, that is the most obvious fight for him. Chisora can take a punch. It's gonna be a good fight. It's probably got the ability to make um, Francis look good uh, in that he can move well. He can probably beat him up and get a victory. It builds his hype that if they're then going to try and push him for a, a fight against one of those big four, which I think he'd get smashed in personally. But, you know, if it, I, I, I'd say that's a per, I, I buy that card all day. That would sounds like, you know, you got you get them. You get them three fights on that card. That's the best card I've ever known in boxing I would also watch that card however I, I, I wouldn't be buying it because um, obvious reasons these days I'd go to a pub and watch it that's what I'd do uh, just finally because you are clearly desperate to talk about him I can see on your notes here Jake Paul and Diaz has been confirmed as a 10 round fight yeah, interesting one. And I get the feeling this would have been pushed more by Diaz than Paul, um, you know, because Diaz, correct me if I'm wrong, sorry, Paul, correct me if I'm wrong, you know more about these punk YouTubers rather than genuine boxers. The longest fight he's had is eight rounds. Um, well, don't, don't pretend that you don't know all about it. Um, whereas, obviously, the thing with Diaz, he has an incredible gas tank. He's a volume puncher as opposed to a power puncher. So I would personally say that certainly increases his odds of victory having longer to do the work. And I think, again, if you had to look at that, I don't see a way that Diaz being the smaller man and the size he is that he probably knocks out Paul. But the longer the fight goes, certainly the better chance of him winning a decision. So I I actually think if that was led by Diaz's team, that's a very sensible move, if you ask me. 
It was indeed. So he actually came out, did Paul, and said that he knows that this is a, a big advantage for Diaz. Although he's massively played it up. So it was, you know, this is the a huge advantage. He knows that. I know that. He wants the request. Uh, the people doing the betting odds know that. But I don't give a fuck. I'm all in. That sort of nonchalant. I'll, I'll do whatever. I'll make it 12 rounds. Make it 17. I'll still beat him. Um, I think he's doing it for the bravado point. I still think he wins, not necessarily because he's a better fighter than Diaz, but because it's boxing, isn't it? It's a different sport. It'd be good to see Diaz win, but I still don't think it will be. Yeah, I think size plays a big factor into this one. Diaz is going to come in unless he's bulking up big. I did see some training footage, I've got to be honest, of Diaz the other day boxing. And again, who am I to criticise? But it it didn't look fantastic. <laughs> it didn't blow me away in terms of his, his, his pad work and what he was doing. Paul is by far the bigger man. As you say, he obviously has far more experience in boxing fights. And again, as much as I hate Jake Paul and always say this, you know, that that's the that's the mindset and the warrior's attitude I like. Look, fuck it. You want longer because you think that's your advantage. Let's go. I'll take you on anyway. You want 12 rounds? Let's do 12 rounds. That I like that mindset. That That's not a pussy mindset. Someone like KSI, for example. Nah, let's stick to six rounds. I'd rather do six rounds and have a tag team bullshit like that. So I, I, I'm, I, I, I can live with that bravado from Jake Paul on this occasion. It it's kind of sounds like you're becoming a bit of a Jake Paul fan there, Ian. Nah, never. It, but it does. It does indeed. I'm I'm rooting for Diaz all day on this one, but I'm I'm concerned for him. Would be my my point. I think, um, especially like you said, you 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 mentioned it a number of episodes ago when they did the pod the um, press conference, maybe t- three or four episodes ago. Didn't sound great. You know that he's taken a lot of punishments in his fights, and he, you know that they they often refer to it with UFC fighters and boxers of being punch drunk as they get a bit older and start to slur their speech a bit, and and he very much sounded like that. The only other thing you could argue with 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 uh, Diaz is he's quite well renowned as a huge fan of marijuana, so he may have just been baked off his tits and unable to speak, but he his. <laughs> His conversations and the chat he had in that press conference didn't fill me with a great deal of confidence for him that, that you know, the, the punishment he's taken over his career, which is significant, was maybe starting to take its toll, which you never want to see on a fighter uh, and especially someone who you really look up to like that. Well, Ian, I am sweating my bollocks off. Uh, I'm pretty sure my shirt is is actually wet. Um yeah, it's horrible. It's sodden. So I'm going to go get myself a cold beer. I might even get a bath. I might even get like a proper relaxing bath. The cold beer. Bang some on TV. What a manly man you are. I you might know go me. And get a, I might go and get a bath on a Friday night. A bubble bath. I was going to well. say, have you got a little rubble ducky to go in there in some bubble bath? I do, actually. Um, my cat sits in the, the sink and watches me, which... That said that out loud sounds a bit That's weird. That's fucking creepy as fuck. <laughs> like, what the fuck are you like? He kick that motherfucker out and lock the door. He sometimes drinks the bath water as well, and I don't know how to stop well, him. Why is he in the bath with you? That's even he worse. Get I mean, in. He reaches how over. He, how can he drink the water if he's not in the bath? Reaches over and starts like flicking his tongue at him. Like, <laughs> I tell you what, you, you say I make some some 
admissions on here that I shouldn't that say a lot about me. That might be one of the worst for you. So you go and get in the bath with your cat and your rubber ducky and have a lovely evening. Thanks everyone for listening. We'll speak to you next week.